0: the test. Trust me. Hey, Cornerstone. How you doing? Man, really good to see you today. Hey, we're in a series, in case you not figured out, we're calling it The Test. And uh, it is, it is a conversation about money. But we said, look, 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 this, is, this goes way, way, way deeper than a conversation about money. And so here was the promise. We said, look, we're not going to twist your arms. We're not going to make you feel guilty. Uh, we're simply going to have a conversation about the test. And really, this comes out of Malachi chapter 3. Uh, it's a moment when God says to you and me, look, there are things that I would want to do in your life. There's blessings that I want to give you uh, that are just waiting for you to take the test. And so it's almost like uh, there's things that God uh, has for us that are kind of stuck in the pipe. And God says, you haven't experienced those things because you haven't been faithful in this one area of your life. And so he says, look, I get it. I get that money is scary. I get that finances get people angry and frustrated. Let me help you with that. Put me to the test, God says. Just try tithing and see if I don't begin to bless you in incredible, incredible ways that you did not understand, that you didn't know before you began to test me in this. And look, here's the deal. I don't know what that blessing is. I I have, I I don't know if it's financial. Uh, I don't know if it's opportunities that God gives you in your life that you wouldn't experience uh, otherwise. I don't know if it's godly wisdom. I don't know if there's gonna be a circumstance or a moment in your life when uh, that's gonna seem ambiguous and and you're set up to make all the wrong decisions and that God's gonna bless you with insight and suddenly you're gonna go, hey, you know what, I'm gonna do it this way and it just turns out completely, I don't know what the blessing is. I don't know. All I know is God says, you're not experiencing this. I haven't had the opportunity to do this because you've not been faithful. It's like you've left the valves shut and if you would simply test me in this, I would show you things that would just surprise you. Here's the thing that's interesting. Do you realize that in all of Scripture, God never asks us to test Him except this one topic? It's as if God knew, hey, this, this is going to be a big deal. This is going to be a hard thing for you to do. So put me to the test. So as a part of that, what your church has stepped up to do is to say, hey, what if we take a 90-day tithing challenge? What if uh, we simply for 90 days said, okay, God, I'm going to obey you in this area of my life, and just see, see what you would do with me. And your church so believes that God is who he says he is, and God does what he says he'll do, that we've said, if you'll tithe for 90 days, if you'll sign up and tithe for 90 days, if God doesn't show up. If he doesn't do what he promised he would do, we'll refund every penny of your tithe. It's the 90-day tithing challenge. And we said, would you just consider doing it? Without having your arm twisted, without anybody making you feel guilty, my hope is, as we've had this conversation the last few weeks, as we continue today, that you're gonna go, man, I can't wait to take the test. I just wanna see what would happen if I trusted God in this particular area of my life. Here's the interesting thing. What we're discovering together is I can't put God to the test without it putting me to the test. That there's something incredibly powerful about my money that, in order for me to actually trust God with this, ends up doing incredible things in me. And, guys, here's what I want to say to you uh, if you think this is just all about your church trying to get more money, if you think my salary's on a percentage and it's just, you know, I'm. I'm Tithe to a different church. Tithe to a different church. Sign up on the 90-day challenge, tithe to a different church, and then if God doesn't show up, we'll still stand behind it, even though you didn't give here. Because we're just that sure of what God does. But you understand that when you put God to the test, you'll take the test. Last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about this idea that said, you can't take the test without personally taking the test of trust because you get that your friends and your people who don't know God and baby Christians, they all trust in a piece of paper with green ink on it. See, they think that that's their God, and that's the thing that's going to bail them out. That's the thing that's going to save them. All of their security is wrapped up in a piece of paper with green ink. And you can't tithe and trust in green ink. When you tithe, you're saying, hey, God, look, I get it. You're the one I depend on. You're the one that's got to come through for me right now. You're the one that's got to make my finances work at the end of the month. I trust you more than a piece of paper. Last week, we talked about the test of first place, that there is something unbelievably powerful that happens in the life of a Christian when we take the tithe and we give it to God first. Because when we do that, what we're saying is, God, the only thing that occupies first place in my life is you. And you have more preeminence, you have more honor, you are the first thing that I absolutely adore more than Visa. And so I put you in first place in my life. Today, today we're going to talk about the test of ownership. And can I just say to you that this test of ownership is one of those things that when this, this concept begins to sink in, when you grasp this test of ownership, it will change the whole game for you. Every one of your answers comes out different when you figure out the test of ownership. You ever had one of those moments in your life where all of a sudden you just kind of came to a reality check, a, you understood something you'd never understood before, and suddenly everything changes based on that knowledge. For instance, guys, that day that you figured out that girls don't have cooties, uh, I mean, it just, it just all changed, right? You went, oh my goodness. I've been playing my cards completely wrong. All those hours of running away on the playground, they were all wasted. What was I thinking? Matter of fact, so revelatory was that for most of us guys, I, I will bet you that it was literally years from the time you figured out that girls didn't have cooties till you mustered the courage to ask one out on a date. It was that big a deal. How about this moment? The moment that you realized that popularity was fleeting. Remember being in high school and you just thought, man, I, I wish I was one of the popular kids? You'd go to the lunchroom and you'd just try to sit at a table somewhere near them so that maybe some of the popularity would rub off on you? Uh, that, that moment that you just said, hey, you know, if, if I could just be cool like them, and my life would be so satisfying. And then graduation came. And suddenly the popular kids were nobodies overnight. Matter of fact, here's the interesting thing. The kids who were popular in high school ended up working for the nobodies in high school who actually did their homework. And he said, man, I just wish I'd known that before I started high school. If I'd known that my freshman year, I would have lived my high school career so differently if I'd understood that popularity was fleeting. How about this one? The moment you realize that family was more important than success... He said, man, I wish I'd known that earlier. I wish I'd understood that earlier. I would have have done so many things. Because, you ready? There are moments in our life in which suddenly, as if somebody turned the lights on in the room, and you went, oh, my goodness. Now that I understand that, now that I get that, everything's different because of that. A couple months ago, Lisa and I were out with a couple, and we'd had coffee and together, and, and then they said, hey, do you want to play a game? And we said, well, sure, we'll do that. And so they took us back to our, their house to play you know, kind of a board game. And so we, uh, we got to the house, and they started explaining to us uh, all the rules. It, it was not Monopoly, by the way. Uh, we've played that before. But uh, they started playing, uh, explaining to us the rules of this new game, and, uh, and then we began to play. We got midway through. And suddenly, it clicked. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You mean saving those is important? I, I've been giving those away the whole game. I mean, well, how come no one explained that part to me? Are you, every deal I've made up until now has been a bad deal. And in that moment, I said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, now that I understand, could we just stop right where we're at? Can we just clear the board and begin again? Ever had that moment? And Jesus is going to say to you, When you pick up this idea of ownership, when this lands in your mind and in your hearts, you're suddenly going to say, "Oh, wait, 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 wait! If that's how this works, if that's really true, can we just clear the board and can I? Can we start over again on this thing? Because that knowledge, that understanding, changes every card I play. It changes everything about how I live my life. Could we start again now that I know?" So here we go, grab your Bibles, Uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus is going to explain this principle of ownership. It's Matthew chapter 25, if you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, uh, you're going to come to this book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. In this moment, Jesus is talking in a parable, and you understand that when Jesus speaks to us in parables, what he's really doing is he's giving us life lessons. He's saying to you and me, this is how life actually works. This is to give you a better perspective, a better understanding of how to navigate and how to live your lives. And he taught us in parables. A matter of fact, this parable happens Very close to the end of Christ's ministry. He's getting ready to die on the cross. He's gonna be gone, and he's giving critical information about what to do once he's gone. It's Matthew chapter uh, 25. Starting in verse 14, here's what he said Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Now, here's what I want us to do. As I go through this parable, I want you to watch for the key characters. Who are the key characters, and who do they represent? Who is Jesus trying to get you and me to identify with, and who are the other players in the story? Okay? Verse 14 again. And again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold, and to another two bags, and to another one one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and to settle accounts with them. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. His master replied, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. "'You've been faithful with a few things. "'I'll put you in charge of many things. "'Come and share your master's happiness.'" Then, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, "'I knew that you were a hard man, "'harvesting where you had not sown "'and gathering where you had not scattered seed. "'So I was afraid, and I went out, "'and I hid your gold in the ground.'" See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that I would have returned, I would have received some interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags, for whoever has will be given more and they will have in abundance And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them, and throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who are the players? So who's the the owner who goes away and leaves all of his stuff behind and trusts it to the servants? Who's the master in the story? It's not a trick question. I promise. Who's the master in the story? God. God. Isn't it interesting? Jesus tells this story just as he's finishing his ministry. He says, Hey, I'm going away. And he tells a story about a master who goes away and entrusts everything to his servants. Who are the servants in the story? Us. You and me. And he says, if you want to understand life, if you want to get what's happening right now, you need to know that this is what life is like. It's like a master who went away, took all of his riches, and trusted it to his servants, us. This may be the most important question Who does the gold belong to? Are you sure? Let's go back to the passage. Go to verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. See, the big question there is when it says his, who's his? Is his the guy with five bags? And now that Jesus had trusted him, it became his? That ownership passed in that moment? And now it's his stuff, his five bags? Go down to verse 18. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And Jesus said, look, 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 look. See, this this is that light coming on moment. This is the thing that if you could see this, if you could understand this principle, this changes how you play the game. Every move is different if you understand who owns the gold. Because he says, you realize ownership never passed, that it still belongs to the master and the servants are simply managers of his wealth on his behalf. Let me see if this helps. How many of you, when you were growing up, you had a room of your own? Okay, all right. So if you were like me, uh, you, you put a sign on the room that said, Jenny's room or Jeff's room. Some of us went a little further with the signage and said, so stay out of my room. Remember that? Matter of fact, when you got in trouble, remember your parents would say to you, go to your room. Uh, When your grandparents came over, you'd say, hey, come see my room. And you realize as a kid, you actually believed that was your room. You believed that. But let me, wait, 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 If that was actually your room, then how come your parents could tell you to clean it? I mean, think about it for a second. If that's your room, you ought to be able to take and do whatever you want with your room. You could have piled clothes seven feet high and pushed your way in every day. I mean, if it's your room, how did they have the right to tell you to clean it? When you moved out, did you sublet your room? And all of a sudden you go, no, hey, mom and dad, no, I I know, he looks like a vagrant, but he's got money and he's paying me rent and I'm just subletting my room. Now, isn't the reality when you moved out, it became abundantly apparent that what you thought you owned, you were only using, that your parents who owned it had given it to you for a period of time and now it was no longer under your management. It's what Jesus is teaching about ownership and managers. you go, Lynn, see, that, that doesn't actually really apply. I get the whole room thing, because the room thing applies because I didn't pay for the room, my parents paid for the house, they were paying the mortgage. I, they, you know, I, I get that. I didn't have anything to do with getting my room, so it wasn't my room. But you don't understand, the stuff I have right now, I worked for that. See, I earned that, so it is rightfully mine. Because here's the deal, Lynn, look, I'm the one who went to school. I'm the one that sat through calculus and took the test. I didn't see Jesus anywhere in the room taking the test. It was me taking the test. And I'm the one that did overtime at work, and and, and I'm the one that landed the big deal. So I'm just telling you, the reason this is different and the reason it's my stuff is because I earned my stuff. Really? That's your final answer? Isn't it interesting when you and I uh, play games uh, that when you first start the game on the board, uh, there's always magic money. You ever noticed that? That for some unknown reason, as you start the game, the bank just starts handing you money for you to play the game with. And the reality is you can't actually play the game without the magic money Because this is what you use to buy properties and leverage things and pay fines. I mean, you you couldn't even start the game if you didn't have the magic money. Hey, when you started life, fistful of magic money, where did you get that talent that you're now selling to Intel? See, where did you get that capacity? Where did you get that ability that marks you as different and better and more productive than the guy sitting next to you? How come you understand math so well? Why is it that you're creative, just out of the box? How do you get those ideas? How come, how come you just intuitively understand leadership? Where, where did that come from? How come, how come you see things that other people don't see and get to the answer so much quicker than other people? How did you do that? And who even gave you the life Magic money. And you realize it's this, it's everything that God equipped you with and gave to you and created and placed in you that you have leveraged for the rest of the game. So at that point, who gave you what you've been selling to Intel to get what you got? Which means it all came From him. You get that this issue of ownership goes deeper than dollars. Remember remember, remember when we first began this conversation? I said, Look, 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 we're going to talk about dollars, but there's a lot more at stake here than dollars. And the reality is, if you haven't figured out this part of your life, I guarantee you there are other parts of your life that you haven't landed for Jesus yet. Let me read you a passage out of 1 Corinthians. You don't have to go there if you don't want to. If you want to, you can. It's 1 Corinthians chapter six. 1 Corinthians chapter six, starting in verse 19. Here's what it says. You ready for this? Don't you know... Are you telling me that you don't don't get this yet? Don't you know that your bodies, your very personhood, are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your life because you don't belong to you. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, If you're struggling with dollars to let God be Lord of your pocketbook, I guarantee you he's not Lord of your life. See, we may be talking about dollars, but this goes a lot deeper than dollars. This has everything to do with your heart. Jesus is going to give us a second just turn on the lights moment. He's going to to explain to you and me how to play the game differently now. So grab your Bibles again and go with me uh, again to Matthew. And this one you're going to want to look at. So it's Matthew chapter 6. So again, go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, if you're not familiar. It's Matthew chapter 6. Here's the question. So in this game, in, in, in this new ownership test game, how do you score points? How, how, do you, how do you win the game? How did the five talent guy get five more talents? I mean, what does that even mean that he got five more, ta- or five more bags of gold? And how did the two bag of gold guy get two more bags of gold? He, was, he bought a bigger big screen TV than the other guy? I mean, what does that mean that he had five and the other guy had, two? I mean. How do you keep score in this game of ownership? Jesus is going to explain. It's Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Here's what Jesus says. You ready? Do not, don't, 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 don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin, vermin is rats, where rats get to it and destroy it and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye, watch this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Look, look, look. Where is what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hey guys, this is a life changing principle. This is a turn on the lights, aha moment. And if, if you're all you're seeing is darkness, if you're doing this the way that people don't understand, do this. If you're doing this the way that your neighbor does this, then you're gonna live this moment of your life in absolute darkness. But if you can understand the test of ownership, it'll change your entire, you'll play every card differently in your life. And what did he say we needed to do? He said, you need to be aware of the fact that there's actually only two pots in life. Uh, that there's only two places that you and I can direct our stuff. Uh, there's the pot that Jesus would say, look, that's the temporary pot. You get that that's the pot where things fade. That's the pot where whatever you invest in there ends up being a loss eventually. Because things get old and things rust and the rats come to... And I'm just telling you, whatever you buy in there, whatever you purchase in there. Pretty soon, you won't even want it anymore. I can guarantee this because of all the people in the room who have iPhone 5s right now. And you're just going, are you kidding me? But when you bought the iPhone 5, you were the cool kid on campus, right? But now you're going, sheesh, I don't even have the camera that's in an iPhone 7. And Jesus said, look, look, look. Everything you buy here fades and goes away and eventually is throwaway." And then you've got another pot, and this pot's eternal. This pot is about what changed lives. This pot is about Jesus becoming famous. This pot is about the kingdom. And everything that goes in here lasts forever. This is the one that changes the score. And the challenge is to see how much I can get from this pot to move to that pot. Because this is the pot that changes the scoreboard. Now, this is really, really hard, and here's why: because this pot, this pot that Jesus would call digging a hole and burying the treasure pot, this, this pot is ravenous. Th- this pot over here is just demanding. Th- this pot over here says, "Don't you dare! Don't you dare neglect me!" And so you and I sit in that moment, and you go, "Well, then you don't, you don't get it. I, I've got, I've got a pretty substantial mortgage." And I, I mean, i got to pay the mortgage, right? i got to take care of my family. And Jesus will say, yeah, no, that's legit. And you've got to do that. You just need to understand that everything you put in that pot uh, burns up. Uh, it, you just need to know you're buying things that will fade. See that house that's so cool right now? In about, four, in about 40 years, see, bad pot. In about 40 years, no one's going to want that house. It's going to be an old, broken-down house. And, and when you're making those payments on your Beamer, Jesus says, well, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, all right. But you see, to understand what you're doing in that moment. You're, you're just, you realize you're, you're burning it up. That's, that's what you're doing. This is the dig a hole because it doesn't matter pot. And I get it. I get that you've got utilities. And I get, I get, I, I get that the kids need, hey, my God, braces. I get it. You, you got to understand that everything goes in that pot. Doesn't do anything pot. And that the challenge, here's the, here's the challenge of the game, the ownership game. Am I able to leverage any of this to here, to the pot that matters, to the pot that changes the score? Which is why, you ready for this? When you and I set aside the tithe, we declare ownership. You know why? Because this pot feels like it's mine, and that pot feels like it's his. And so the very act, the very act of taking my tithe passes the test of ownership. And Jesus says, and there's where you score. When you set up yourselves treasures in heaven. Here's the thing, think about the guys, this is remarkable. Who gave us this dollar? The bank. The bank. Thank you so much. No. <laughs> God. God, give me the dollar. So here's the incredible thing. So God says, Take the dollar I gave you. Take the tenth I gave you and bring it to me. Now, remember, you can't give it to him because it's not yours to give. It's only yours to bring. And he says, Hey, bring to me the thing that I gave you and the thing that I still own. You don't even own it, it's not your room. And bring it to me. Now, you know he was just crazy radical about this? And he says, if you'll bring to me what already belongs to me, I'll reward you. You're, you're going to show up in heaven someday. I'm going to go, man, do you realize how many lives I changed with that? Do you realize what I did for the kingdom with that? I mean, do you understand that your investment, you, I'll reward you for giving me what was already, I mean, that's just a crazy offer, right? But if that's not enough, he then says, and hey, guess what? In this life, I'll even, I, oh my God, I'll even bless you. Now, here, here's the thing. I can't tell you how many Christians I run into, and they're all worried about God blessing me in this life. They're like, hey, if I tithe, you know, I, I better get like, you know, 10 more thousand square feet on my house, and, you know, I better get a better car, and, you know, all the Guys, can I just tell you, that's crazy. If this really works... If this is true, I don't want much blessing in this life because this is the pot that corrodes. This is the pot that gets dusty and fades. So I'm, look, look, I'm okay, God, if you give me one more bedroom. And, and I'm okay if the car has leather. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm okay. I'm just telling you, I don't want a ton of blessing here. You know where I want it all to go? Dude, I want it there. I want it in the eternal side of that. I want to get to heaven and go, man, you have made some major deposits, dude. That's what I want it to be. How do you win the game? You move things to the right pot. Baby Christians? Baby Christians ask this question How much can I keep? Mature Christians? How much do I need? Because I got a feeling I might be spending some stuff on some stuff that I don't need. And if I I if I could figure I could leverage more to the pot that scores, I could win this game. And here's why that's a big deal. Because someday. Someday, it all goes back in the box, literally. (laughs) And what's going to matter is how you played the game. It's the test of ownership. See, it's not hard to give him what is already his. It's just hard to give him what I think is mine. I've told this story before. Some of you are going to know it. When we were first starting out the church, uh, we had three pastoral families that were coming to start Cornerstone, and uh, we had to raise money like missionaries. We had to go to our friends and our family and people that we had done ministry with in the past that maybe felt positive about us, and we just had to say, look, here's the deal. We're going to go start a church, but the church can't pay us anything because there is no church yet. So would you support us like missionaries? Would you give us like kind of a monthly offering so that we can have a salary for three years? And at the end of three years, if it doesn't work, we'll just call it quits and we'll be done. But would you give us that window? Would you support us for three years? And so we made these lists. We made the list of all these people that we knew and family members. And and here's the interesting part. The people on the list who had the most money gave the least. They say, oh, yeah, here's your 10 bucks a month. And you're like, Really? You, you tip after golf more than that. It was the people on the list with the least who were the most generous. And one of those people was a little gal by the name of Orally England. Orally England was a gal whose husband would just randomly take off on her. So he'd come home for five or six months and then he'd leave for a year, year and a half. And then he'd come back home, oh, honey, I want to be back home. And she'd take him back in, and he'd be there for three months. He'd take off for another year, year and a half. So she spent most of her time being a single mom. You ready for this? Raising seven kids. And here's how she made her living. She made her living by taking in elderly people that needed end-of-life hospice-type care. So in her little house was filled with hospital beds. And she would go around and she would roll them over so that they would not get bed sores. She'd cook them meals and she'd have to feed them as if they were like infants. She'd have to clean out bedpans. Give them sponge baths. Things things that I don't want to ever do in my life. She did every single day. Anybody want to guess who the most generous donor to Cornerstone in those early days was? Orally England. And can I just tell you how humble that made us to know that someone with so little was giving so much? I mean, how easy for her to say, man, I need all of this. I'm a single mom with seven kids and I'm barely making it. The one with the least gave the most. She had no idea, I guarantee you she had no idea that one day this church would be filled with thousands of people, that literally thousands, and more people than I think we even know how to count, thousands upon thousands of people would have come to know Jesus in the church that she gave to so faithfully. That there would be so many just purple chair stories of life change, of people giving their hearts and growing up and becoming fully dedicated. She had no idea. Orally passed couple years ago, and here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing when she got to her Jesus, she got a really good return on her investment. Because yeah. Oralee knew how to play the game. She understood that everything she left in this pot would burn up, and everything she moved to this pot would matter. So here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if we've got a couple lease in the room. I'm wondering if there's anybody here who just today went, I, I get it. I've been borrowing the room. See, everything I have, God has trusted me with. And he said, you move pots. You be careful how much you burn up. Because you, you don't own it anyways and I'm simply asking you to manage it for me. And if your heart's there, then I'm just gonna encourage you to grab one of these cards or write in the seat back and just say, I get it. I'm, going to, I'm taking the test of ownership today. I'm just gonna figure out what God would do if I did that faithfully for 90 days and just see how he'd use my life. You wanna hear something incredible? 466 families have taken the 90-day challenge. Guys, that's cool, that's big stuff. Because guys, that's 466 Orlees. That's 466 families who've passed the trust test, who who've passed the first place test, who are passing the ownership test. So you just do whatever God would have you do. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, see we come to the moment. And it's as if somebody turned the lights on in the room. And suddenly we discovered that girls don't have cooties, that I don't own the room, that my stuff isn't my stuff, that you have given everything that I have to me, and that you simply trusted me to move some of it from the pot that doesn't count to the one that really matters. It's, it's a completely different way of playing the game. But if it goes back in the box, then I want to move as much as I can before the game's over. God, help us to never again be owners. It's the test of ownership. In Jesus' name, amen.